It is an unfortunate fact that the elderly are taken advantage of every day. While the estate planning and government assistance laws are quite complex and ever-changing, how do you keep track of them? Through elder law attorney Michael Cohen. He's there for you to answer any of your planning questions in a way that you and your loved ones will easily understand. Mike has devoted his entire career to dutifully informing and protecting our parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, anyone in need. Join us now to learn more about estate planning essentials with Michael Cohen and co-host Don Crawford Jr. Here now are Michael and Don. This is your Estate Planning Essentials radio program. My name is Don Crawford, Jr., the grateful owner of KWM Radio and co-host of this program, which is incessantly seeking to protect your family, your assets, and you. And I'm sitting with my co-host, my friend, my attorney, who should be your attorney. I say that every show. Our Dallas estate planning expert, Michael Cohen. Hello, Michael. Hello, Don. How are you doing? And happy Thanksgiving to you. Happy Thanksgiving to you. I appreciate that. Um, it is mid-November. Uh, we're getting close to the end of the year. 2023 is just now weeks away. There were elections this month, Veterans Day, uh, the Alzheimer's Walk. A lot happened this month, not to mention Thanksgiving coming up and then the holidays in December. But with 2023 around the corner, there are going to be a lot of changes in the House and the Senate with rules and new regulations. And you wanted to address the changes for 23 regarding Medicaid. Yeah. First of all, last week's show, we talked about really things that affect more well-to-do people. We talked about the estate and gift tax laws and how the numbers were changing. Now I'm going to go the opposite end. Uh, A lot of times, uh, most people think that Medicaid is only for the poor. I'm going to talk specifically about long-term care Medicaid Mm -hmm. because most people do not have long-term care insurance. Um, they think Medicare is going to take care of them when, in fact, it has very limited coverage and only in certain circumstances. Let me ask you a one-on-one question. What's the difference between Medicaid and Medicare? Okay. So, first of all, there's a lot of difference. Uh, Medicare, uh, if when, usually when you're 65, I say usually because if you become disabled at some time before that and get Social Security disability, you could get Medicare as well. Okay. Uh, there's different parts to Medicare. The coverage for if you're in a hospital, part A, part B, doctors, part D, drugs. Okay. okay. So, and then there's also different other types of plans uh, with that, and you could have like Medicare supplement plans, but that doesn't cover long-term care insurance. That doesn't cover long-term care. That is. I see. Uh, now, there's lots of different Medicaid programs. In fact, in Texas, there's 109. Goodness. I don't think we're going to have time to go through all 109 no, programs today, <laughs> but the programs range from children's Medicaid to cervical and breast cancer Medicaid to uh, the work where you could go to work with Medicaid and having some insurance uh, to uh, having uh, long-term care where somebody's in a nursing home and you get care at home or even just limited coverage where coverage uh, where they have a certain amount of hours where the state pays somebody to come to the home. Now, Medicaid is usually means-tested, which that means is they look at your assets that count. Certain assets don't count, like a homestead generally. I say generally because if your home 
If you're married, there's no limit to the value of a home. Now I'm going into long-term care Medicaid specifically because each program has their own rules. Okay. So if I talk to you about, uh, for example, uh, Star Plus Medicaid, which is a program which gives about 35 to 40 hours a week, there might be a five-year look-back period, just like there is for, let's say, nursing home Medicaid or long-term care Medicaid. However, the rules are different on how you're penalized if you make a gift within that five years. Remember in last week's show, we talked about gifting and how much you could give. Well, that's on tax laws. For Medicaid, if you make a gift, there is a presumption that you did it on purpose to reduce your assets to get eligible for Medicaid. And you have to rebut the presumption. So if you normally tithe, that might be a gift within the five years. But if you've had this pattern of tithing, that may be okay. However, if you made a large uh, gift, uh, let's say to a charity, and you already had bad dementia, well, they think, oh, you did that on purpose, didn't you? you? You gave to the charity to reduce your assets so that we would have to pay for your care. Okay, so it's a anti-fraud type provision. So they look at your assets to determine, uh, you know, whether you're eligible or not. And they also look at other factors, your income, uh, as well as if you've made any gifts, as I mentioned just a second ago. All right, those numbers change on how much you could keep if you're married um, uh, because of the cost of living. Just like we talked about last week's show about how much you could give at death, or uh, how much you can make as, as far as a gift going up. Also, the numbers on how much you could keep are gone up. Hmm. So, um, you know, Medicaid originally was for the poor. Those laws changed, uh, actually, over 30 years ago because people were getting divorced to get eligible for Medicaid. So there's a thing called a protected resource amount. To determine the protected resource amount on things that count, now, again, there are certain things that do not count. The typical things that do not count are a home, if you're married, unlimited value. If you're single at 636000 that's going to be going up on January 1st uh, as well. The um, uh, A car, one car regardless of value. Uh, personal property items generally do not count. Um, Pre-need funeral doesn't count. Term life insurance doesn't count. A whole life insurance policy, if the face value is uh, $1,500 or less doesn't count. A business essential for self-support doesn't count. An IRA there, where there's required minimum distributions in Texas doesn't count. Now, that varies in different states. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't say 401ks. I didn't say 457s. Or I didn't say 403bs, which are other types of retirement accounts, but you can convert those to an IRA. Uh, those do not count as a resource. So there are certain things that do not count, and a lot of times what people do, by the way, is convert the cash, the countable assets, into something that doesn't count. Well, how much can you keep, and what is the the dollar amount now, and what is it going to go up to uh, as of January 1st, and can you keep more, (laughs) I guess, too? That's the goal. All right. So... So just think of it this way. If you got cash, if you got a checking or a savings account or an investment account or even the whole life uh, policy that has a cash surrender value, or if you have a second car or other real estate, then those type of things would count as a resource. How much, what is the limit and how do they determine? Well, at the present time in 2022, the countable resource limit, the maximum, is 137400 Now, that is scheduled to go up to $148,620 as of 
as of January 1st. But before I tell you that that is the um, all that you can keep, stay tuned because you can often keep a lot more. Uh, and I'll tell you about that in just a second. Now, how do you determine as they look at the assets as of the first day in which somebody either goes into a hospital or a nursing home? So if somebody went into a hospital uh, in November and then went straight to a nursing home after that, they would look at November 1st as the amount of resources that count to take a snapshot picture. And then they look to see uh, and then they divide that by two, if you're married, as to how much you could keep. So let's say you had $300,000. You had $300,000 of countable resources. Now, what is the benefit? Some spouse needs to go into a nursing home or needs care at home, and you want the government to pay because it costs a lot of money. Average nursing home, over $7,000 a month. Mm-hmm. Some of them are over $10,000 a month. You say, oh, gee. How am I going to, the spouse says, how am I going to live off the money for the rest of my life? I'm going to be, if somebody has a dementia, they may live for years. And then you say, they, they become impoverished. Anyway, so that's why there's going to be some rules called uh, for spousal prevention from impoverishment rules where you can keep more, which I'll explain in just a second. Excellent. So, the, so in our example of the 300,000, They say, well, the maximum you could keep, well, in 2022, uh, I said 137,400, going up to 148,620 on January 1st. So if I had 300, what's one half of that? 150. Well, that's more than the maximum, so you'd have to spend down to whatever the maximum was, unless, unless, and here we get to the spousal prevention from impoverishment laws. If the income of the, the what they call the non-countable resource income, which is typically Social Security or a pension income, of the husband-wife combined is less than $3,435, which is going up to $3,715.50 on January 1st. Now, remember, your Social Security should be going up as well. So that if it's just Social Security you have, it may not make any difference on that increase. But if it's a pension, pensions are normally the same amount each year. Mm-hmm. They look at gross, uh, by the way, not net. Because so if you have health insurance taken out, it's not going to that's not going to matter. They look at the gross amount, okay. just like they look at the gross amount on Social Security. So let's say in our example that the uh, there's a formula to keep more assets. So let's say, and it's based on interest rates. So let's say that the couple had combined incomes of $2,900. Well, I told you that the limit was $3,435, or it's going to go up to, uh, as I was just telling you, $3,715.50 on January 1st. Well, that income is less than the allowable limit. So it's based on interest rates. Of course, interest rates are going up a little bit, so that means you can protect a little bit less than there had been before because the higher the interest rate, the less you can keep. So from a Medicaid standpoint, you want the, the worst interest rate. Mm-hmm. So uh, if, if I had 2900 and the limit was presently 3435 well, that's $535 less than the allowable limit. So you plug this into a formula, and you would be able to keep all 300000 And so you wouldn't have to spend down to that limit. So it's important to know the, 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 what the gross figures are to see if you could keep more assets 
and without spin down, if that person happens to go into a facility that accepts Medicaid, there's a Medicaid bed available. There has to be enough of a medical necessity, whether you're at home for, and needing 35 or 40 hours a week, or if you're in a nursing home. By the way, the calculations, unfortunately, are different for the Star Plus Medicaid program, the one that's at home, than it is for the nursing home Medicaid program. Mm-hmm. So they're actually more favorable uh, at home. Oh, my goodness, these Medicaid rules. I thought it was bad on the tax laws, but now they're, my head's starting to hurt on that one, too. <laughs> so the, so it's important to know the uh, limits here because the as we age, there's more likelihood of disability. You know, just like on life insurance, the older you get, usually the more expensive it gets because you're closer to death. Mm-hmm. Similarly, the older you get, the more likelihood of dis- disability. Uh, so... Uh, it gets more and more expensive, uh, and, you know, and, and quite frankly, with the advances, uh, advancements in medica- uh, medications and uh, surgeries and uh, things like that, that uh, people are living longer. You know, you used to think about um, my own father died when I was young. They didn't have bypass surgery. Is that seems hard to believe? That was uh, that seems so routine now. Yeah. And the uh, uh, but now it's uh, so. So now people that may have had, uh, not have died of a heart attack or whatever because of their wasn't bypass surgery may have dementia today. Right. And then they live uh, longer. And as you know, sometimes a lot longer. We think of, like, say, Ronald Reagan. How many years did he have dementia? Uh, probably at least 16 years or something like that. Uh, so people are living longer. But the longer you live, the more likelihood of disability, and then that means how are you going to pay for it? And a lot of people don't realize that Medicare doesn't pay for it; Medicaid does. Mm. Wow, that's fascinating. I never knew any of that. It's very helpful. And do you find that to be a threatening thing, or is that a good thing that doesn't pay for it? Well, I mean, you would like to, th- you know, in a way, you see, you think of Medicare; uh, it's too expensive. Uh, we we think that if you have dementia, it, I, I think Medicare is somewhat disease discriminatory. Yeah. So if you have a heart attack, we'll cover you. But if you have dementia, oh my goodness, you, you drew the bean that's not the one that you want. You're got, you have to pay for care, and that is expensive and only going up every year. A lot of times greater than the cost of living. And so then, especially if you're married, can you imagine, let's say you were married... Uh, Let's say you just got married later on in life, and you'd gotten all your made a lot of money, and it was all separate property, and then you had married somebody who had hardly anything, and that person needed care. Uh oh! What do you mean all my money is subject to paying for his cost of care? It is. It's not based on community property laws or separate. What's community and separate property? Medicaid's a joint program between the federal and state governments. We have to go by the federal law. It doesn't matter. Maybe you shouldn't get married. <laughs> so, uh, so they, it, but it is a con- things. It's something that people probably are not aware about, no. especially if they're older. Yeah. They say, "What do you mean my money is subject to having to pay for care?" When you're married, you have a duty to support a spouse anyway. Is there a list that says where it's not covered and where it is covered? No, if it's your assets, they look at the assets of both y'all. And so even if you made a gift, so here's another one. Uh, Let's say that you're married, you had children from a prior relationship, you had all the money, and you wanted to make a gift. 
you want to say, you know what, I'm going to pay for, um, oh, a grandkid to a new car for grandkid. Well, and that your husband or wife, whoever it is that needs the care, um, needs to apply for long-term care Medicaid. And you bought that car for the grandchild within the last five years. Oh, you're going to have to private pay. Uh, that could have been a disqualifying event for at least a certain period of time. They look at the amount that you gave, how much was the value of that car, divide that by the average daily cost of care if you're in a nursing home. Uh, and by the way, if it was that Star Plus Medicaid program, the one at home, that would have been five years of ineligibility because you bought your grandkid a car for uh, even though because your spouse applied for Medicaid, even though it wasn't any of his money or her money. Mm. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Be careful what you, before you, you better look before you leap. Right. How frustrating is that? Um, it's very complicated. Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security which also, of course, is in play now with the changes going on in Social Security. And it's very frustrating, and that's why there are people like Michael Cohen who are there to help you, protect you, as we say at the beginning of the program, your family, your assets, and you, and to help interpret what these new laws mean so that you can better manage your life, manage your estate, manage the people that you love um, for when you're alive and when you pass away. Um, to that end, to better understand it, you should attend Michael's next Estate Planning Essentials workshop, which is scheduled for Tuesday, December the 13th at 10 a.m. They're free. They're in person. They're, uh, where, where are they located, Michael, the workshops? Well, we have a conference center in our office building, which is right by Medical City, which is Forest near Central Expressway, which is 75, uh, a little bit south of 635 LBJ. Uh, it's very simple to get to. Uh, should be easy, um, especially since it's 10 o'clock in the morning. It's after rush hour traffic. Mm -hmm. And tell them what goes on at the workshops, why they're free, what they get in terms of education, coffee mugs, you name it. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, we have, yeah, it's we talk about whatever anyone wants to know about. Mm -hmm. It could be about estate planning, about wills and trust, and powers of attorney, and all the other types of documents that are basic as far as estate planning. Or it could be more complicated as far as Sometimes people ask about taxation issues and sometimes on issues like Medicaid, like we're talking about today. You never know which workshop. Uh, I never know what questions that people are going to ask because I ask them, what do you want to know? Right. And then I write down that list on a board behind. And through those two hours of that free estate planning essentials workshop, uh, we answer the questions in which you learn something, not only what your questions are that free, but you also learn from what others ask that you never may have thought of. Uh, if you go to the Free Estate Planning Essentials Workshop, which will also have a presentation so that it's not just question and answer, uh, we also give you a free one-hour vision meeting. So that's three free hours uh, of free legal education without any obligation. As you mentioned, not only do you get the three free hours, but mm. Christmas is coming and the free KWAM coffee mugs, right, those are those Christmas stocking stuffers are awaiting. If you're really desperate, <laughs> if you're really struggling, there's nothing else in the world to buy or get, and that would be it. And um, I'm sure you could find something better than that. But, um, you, you know, Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, Christmas are all right around the corner. You're going to see family. You're going to get together and talk about planning, ideas, your parents, your children, your estates, government assistance, 
and Michael educates on all of those things at the workshop and during this radio program and podcast. So by learning from this program, you can then go more informed and you can help perhaps those around you because Michael, again, is there to interpret and translate what he understands to make sure you're protected. To that end, attend his next workshop, which again is Tuesday, December the 13th at 10 o'clock. Dial 214-720-0102, 214-720-0102. To attend his next workshop, then get a free vision meeting, which is an hour alone with Michael Cohen which is invaluable time because then you get to ask questions specifically and privately about your situation. And to sign up for that, you can also go to DallasElderLawyer.com, DallasElderLawyer.com, that being the workshop. Go to the workshop first, then get the free vision meeting after. Michael, about six, seven minutes left. What else should we know about Medicaid going into 23? Well, there's also an income cap. Uh, now, this does not apply to people who have supplemental security income. Mm -hmm. When you have supplemental security income, you automatically get Medicaid. This is another Medicaid program. So a lot of times people just happen to be disabled, younger, and they have no assets, maybe never worked. Uh, Typically before age 65, they get uh, supplemental security income. And that number is also going to be going up. Like if you're single, um, it's right now $841 is the maximum income. You can't do a qualified income trust, which we're going to talk about in just a second for long-term care Medicaid. Uh, That's supposed to go up by $73 as of January 1st for those people who are getting supplemental security income and automatically get Medicaid for just having to be disabled before before 65. But for the long-term care Medicaid, uh, there's also an income cap. Uh, Right now, that income cap, and they follow only what's called, in Texas, they follow the name on the check rule. Now, not every state has an income cap. About 20 states do, Texas being one of uh, If your income exceeds in year 2022, 25, 23 a month, then you have to do what's called a qualified income trust, or also known as a QIT, or formerly known as a Miller Trust. Uh, that limit's going to go up to 2742 as of January 1st. So let me kind of explain. Um, let's say somebody had $3,000 of income. Uh, you have Social Security or a pension. Typically, the higher pensions are either if you're a veteran or uh, uh, you know you get a military pension or a teacher's retirement. If your income is greater than the limit, now don't get that mixed up with that other limit that we talked about when they looked at the income of the two spouses to determine how much assets. On this thing, as far as income, they just look at the uh, person that's applying for Medicaid. If their income exceeds the cap, then we do this certain type of income-only trust, where you just put the income only, not assets. You don't put, uh, you know, a house into a qualified income trust. It's just the income. If you put that income into the trust, and assuming the income is lost than, less than the cost to care, then at least on the income side, there's eligibility. Uh, that income, uh, depending upon whether the person's single or married, uh, if the person's single, most of that income is going to go to the nursing home as that person's copay or share. If the person is married and the uh, spouse's income is less than that thirty-four, thirty-five that I mentioned a few minutes ago as far as the expansion number, which I mentioned is going up to thirty-seven, fifteen, fifty on January 1st, mm-hmm. then there could be a diversion of income from the ill spouse to the well spouse. So you remember we talked about 
expansion with the case of $300,000 of assets. Let's say that the total income, instead of being $2,900, was only, oh, a couple thousand dollars. Well, not only would the government pay for the cost of care, it would be entirely, and all the income could go to the well spouse because her income was less than the thirty-four, thirty-five. So let's say that somebody uh, had a spouse that had income of, you know, right now $2,600, and the spouse had either no income or very limited income. It could be that the well spouse has all the income and keeps all the assets, and the government pays for the entire cost of care plus medication. When I told you the cost of care is average is over $7,000 a month plus medication, that's a lot of savings. And Medicare doesn't cover that generally, so that's why a lot of people look to the government to help pay for care cost. Um, So there could be a diversion of income, but you would have to do this qualified income trust. There are a few other limited situations. Uh, If you have a pension and you need more money, you could actually go to court to have an order to transfer even more money, more than the $34,000, um, what was called the minimum monthly maintenance needs allowance to the well spouse. Uh, so, but that would be takes time and you know legal fees, and so it doesn't happen that often. Much more common is the qualified income trust, formerly known as the Miller Trust. So, let me. Why do we have that? Let's say somebody had uh, twenty six hundred dollars of income and no assets, and let's say that the cost of care I told you is over seven thousand dollars a month. Well, how are they going to pay for the cost of care? Right. So that's why they allow that trust, because how are you going to do that? And so it used to, it's it, an irrevocable trust in name only, because if when I say name only, you use the Social Security number of the person who sets it up, and the um, uh, so it's not like you have to get a new tax ID number. Back in the old days, in because I'm an elder, elder law attorney, mm-hmm. um, you did have to get a tax ID number. Well, anyway, it's pretty simple to do nowadays, but I have one more caution. If you have a power of attorney, make sure that you have the ability to create trust. Most powers of attorney do not do that, and you may have a trouble opening up a bank account. We see that all the time. There are a lot of cautions, not just that one, even though he culminated the whole half an hour program with that. Uh, to make sure you get them all covered, to make sure you ask what concerns you the most, attend his next workshop, which is Tuesday, December the 13th at 10 o'clock. Dial 214-720-0102, or go to DallasElderLawyer.com, DallasElderLawyer.com. You will see in that workshop, he never reads, just like he didn't today. This is all straight from his head his knowledge, his intelligence, and that's the kind of attorney you want that I have that I strongly recommend. Dallas Elder Lawyer, our Dallas Elder Lawyer, Michael Cohen. I thank you, sir. Leading estate planner practicing law for decades in Dallas, Texas, Michael Cohen is ready to educate you about the Texas and federal laws. The next step to that end is to attend his next workshop by going to his website, which is DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com and sign up for that free estate planning essentials workshop. Or you can also call him by dialing 214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102.
a talk show host on KAAM for eight years now, Michael Cohen is the person you want to evaluate what could currently be a rather insufficient estate plan. Make certain that is not the case and that it is created and completed your way by signing up for his next free workshop today.